0: Hi and welcome to a brand new episode of Grind Forever. I am one of your hosts, Travis Foster, and today we're going to be talking about one of the most seminal series uh, in the PlayStation RPG era. Era. Um, it's one that, gr- that great year of 1998 when they had all these great RPGs that came out. Um, I think of RPGs like um, Final Fantasy VIII, uh, so- something like, I think it was a little bit later, but it was around that same time where they had... Uh, Xeno Gears came had come out, and also uh, Legend of Dragoon. But this is a game that is very widely uh, renowned by RPG players who've played the game, uh, and it is one of the most well-known games. has such a very different and tri- uh, a different and diverse battle system, and I think it's probably a progenitor of when you see when you see these complex RPG tool facets that kind of multiple. They have these complex RV Arby, tasks that kinda of multitude like different playstyles. And I'm of course talking about Suey Coden two. And today I am joined by one of my favorite people who does a really great Aww. video game podcast uh, <laughs> called uh video, video Game Apocalypse, uh, Mr. Michael Rivarez.
1: Hi, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Sir? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Pumped to talk about Sui Coden two.
0: Absolutely. So this is a game that I know is very near and dear to your to you. Um, mm-hmm. As when we did um, our episode of Final Fantasy VI many moons ago, um, you would say like, "Oh yeah, I, I love Sweet Condo Two, It's one of my favorite games." So I wanted to to get how did you first get. Uh, like, how did you first learn about Sui Were you there when Sui One came out, or was this something that it was a brand new thing to You have heard of, from a lot of people that Sui Coden Two was actually their first Sui game.
1: Uh, well, I actually I got into Sui 1 One first, and I think it was a couple years after it came out. Like, I remember it being a game that came out kind of early in the PlayStation One's life cycle, and I think a lot of people gave it a miss. And if you've seen the cover art, I think that's kind of understandable because it looks kind of lame, but, uh, (laughs) like the, the game was incredible. It's, it's a retelling of, uh, this Chinese novel that was, it's been translated variously as the water margin or outlaws of the marsh. I think outlaws of the marsh is the much better title. And, uh, but I, I got into that and, uh, thought it was fantastic. Uh, was really pissed that I I couldn't figure out how to resurrect uh, one of the characters that dies. It can only be resurrected if you collect all one hundred and eight characters. That's the other thing about this series. It, like you feel like you're building a community instead of a party, because you right. have yeah tons and tons of characters that you can recruit. And then uh, of course when Sui Koden Two came out, like I was primed for it. Like I have to play this right now, and. Uh, so I, I got through it again. Failed to collect all 108 stars. Didn't get the uh, the best ending. But so th- this and the first one were like uh, sort of uh, bet noirs hanging over my head for years and years. Like I have to uh, <laughs> someday go back to these and do this. And I did it with the first one, and uh, like a, a few years ago. And I actually looked it up. I think it was about exactly three years ago, uh, February 28th, uh, 2015, and. Uh, was gonna go on to Suikoden Two next. Uh, got a job instead, and so I got uh, distracted from that path. And then by the time I was ready to, to st- restart playing it for this, uh, it's a very sad thing happened between then and now, and that my like, PS3, uh, all its saves were wiped. And oh. uh, so I, I, I'm still, I can't have the full 100% experience where I find like the first game's hero and all that stuff. So eh, whatever.
0: Yeah, but I think that's it's really cool. I think that aspect of it, it reminds me when I think of modern games and and doing research and checking stuff out of Sui Coden. So, because like the big, the big, uh, my RPG shame because I consider myself a uh, PlayStation RPG player Mm -hmm. is I've never touched the Sui Coden series. Like, I've played some obscure RPGs like Thousand Arms and and stuff like that. (laughs) Um, Thousand Arms, uh, that's a reference. You for absolutely nobody. Um well it's a reference I, for
1: me. I mean the, the adventures of Mice true. Triumph and uh his trying to date girls, whatever. <laughs> I don't remember it very well, but it was weird. No, it's
0: it's literally it's it's a harem anime, but then it oh, also yeah. helps with your armament and mm-hmm. it's a really it's a really fun, weird game. Um but Suikoden was a was a series that I it was I just never got a chance to to touch it. So I think we talked about it in 6, like, my first because of my age range, my first, like, RPG RPG that I remember sitting out and playing through was Final Fantasy 7 because of the marketing push. Mm-hmm. And when Final Fantasy 8 came out, that was the first RPG where I was like, yeah, okay, I'm on board day one, and I, it turns out I really don't like Final Fantasy 8. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, so, <me>
0: neither. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, I, I ended up, you know, trying to branch myself out. I Went uh, through the power of emulation, uh, got my hands on Chrono Trigger, and then fell in love with the genre again. And then um, went and played a lot of older games, Final Fantasy VI, and then I played a translation pack with Final Fantasy V. So I was trying to get through a lot of a, squ- a lot of Square backlog. And then I had my D, I had my DS, well, I had my Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd go. I went through. Um, Dragon Warrior 3 on Game Boy, and I had all these oh, games, wow. but this was just a series that I just never got a chance to put my hands on, and by the time I kind of graduated to where I touch everything, um, it wasn't available. Like, it didn't become available um, reasonably until 2014 mm-hmm. when it came out on PSN.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really hard to find for years, and I remember, like, they released it in... On uh, PSP in Japan, and why don't we get that? That sucks. It's already been translated. Just bring it over.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but, no, it, it's it's a really – so it's a really cool game. It's a really inventive game. Like I said – like you said, um, one of the cool things about it aspect is you can recruit 108 characters mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah. And they – one of the things that – in my research and in, in looking it up, that all the characters don't fill – like, kind of just cookie cutter, or, or distinct, like, Disguise is a game I think of where you can recruit so many monsters, right? But mm-hmm. they're all this very set, okay, now you have an archer, or now you have, you know, a mage, and you, it's kind of like Final Fantasy Tactics, where they're different characters, but not really. It's what you what you kind of ascertain, or what you kind of put the characters into in your own mindset. Where in Coden, like, all these characters, all 108 characters have these very vast, different, not only personalities, but mm-hmm. these vast, like, different story arcs that you go over through the game.
1: Yeah, and a lot of even the smaller characters have, like, short quests you have to go through to recruit them. It's rarely as simple as just, like, walking up to them in a tavern and saying, hey, join my group. And they're like, okay, although there's there's a couple like that. But even, even they have, like, a bunch of dialogue that makes them, like, there's like guy, Zamza, that you meet early on, who uh, he's, he's very overblown and, and kind of... Talk him into joining by negging him, I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just, his bag was like, oh, come on, join. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But no, no, it's more like, ah, we don't want this guy. He sucks. Like, oh, I'll show you how valuable I can be. But uh, (laughs) the the thing I liked about this one uh, and the first one is that, like, a lot of the 108 characters aren't, like, for combat, they're for support. So they'll, like, hang out in your fortress. And make it a better place. like uh, you you hired this artist, and he'll paint a mural on your floor. That kind of thing um, right. It, and that's that that's recruit an artist, I should say,
0: right. And that's one of the cool things, too, is because you so in this game, it's not this overarching like you're the chosen one to mm-hmm. save the world. Like it's there's a legitimate war going on. It's more of a political theater game that goes through and you start off in this game as the hero um i believe in the japanese game they actually do have a default name of ryu but in the american game you can choose whatever name um Mm -hmm. and you are just a regular person in the army and then you end up moving yourself and becoming a stronger becoming stronger and then kind of building your own army base so you're able to you know like you said recruit people into the castle. And one of the things I thought was really cool is like with that, you could have these different mini games that go through. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a really cool thing and a really cool aspect of it.
1: Oh yeah. Um, I'm having trouble remembering the mini games actually.
0: <laughs> well, I know there were some, like there's a cooking uh, mini game that you oh, can yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. do throughout. Um, just like there's, there's different uh, little mini games you can do within the castle. I seem to um, remember, lyrics. like,
1: isn't the cooking mini game like kind of Iron Chef inspired, where they uh, inspired where they like show off a mystery ingredient or something? Yes, okay. yes, that's yeah.
0: that's exactly what it was like, and which is like I said, which is like that's something that's something that you would see in a in a recent RPG, right? And I, and that's, I think that's mm-hmm. what I think I like about the concept of su- uh, coding without kind of beating through the game is like it has a lot of things that kind of were borrowed in more recent RPGs. Like when I think of something like Monster Hunter, it's you, you go into, you go and do a mission, when you go cook, you have this whole thing where you do this whole cooking thing or the new Zelda game. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of that stuff was present in Sui Coden 20 years ago. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things also was cool was the difference in the battle system. Mm-hmm. Um, so the battle system, you have, And just kind of explain a little bit uh, more for me, Michael, like you have your traditional battle system, but you have other stuff that kind of adds on to it as well, right? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you have the uh, the two rows of uh, three characters, and uh, you ha- you have to consider like formation when you're picking your party. Like, okay, if I have a long range character, I want them in the back row because they're also probably going to be more vulnerable to attack if they're in the front row. And uh, if if you have a short or medium range character, short range characters always have to be in the front. Medium range can be either, but I think if they're in the back, they can only strike at like the front row of the enemy. So it's it's all just kind of like chess pieces, I guess. <laughs> right. But uh, then you, you get, like, other characters, like monster characters that, like, take up two slots. Like, they're a whole column unto themselves. And uh, that kind of necessitates new strategies, I guess.
0: Right. No, and I, th- I think that's, like I said, and that's a lot of the tradition. It's almost like a very traditional JRPG in that way, right? Where you have mm-hmm. the, like I said, you have your two, you have your front row, back row, how you kind of... Um, adjust those characters, but another thing that was really cool to me, again, coming back from it later, was the army battle aspect of it, Mm. where it kind of takes a lot of... It it reminds me a lot of Final Fantasy Tactics or Disgaea, where you're doing this strategy, you know, you're doing this strategy element of it, where it's this rocks, paper, scissors uh, type thing to it, where you can do defend attack or wild attack, and depending on what you use you know, you would win. And I I thought that was actually also really, really cool. And again, for the time, very kind of groundbreaking in the gameplay.
1: Well, I think think you're talking about the duels. And uh, what's interesting is between the, like the actual huge scale army battles in the first one and the second one is that the first one, they're kind of a little bit more like that where it's rock, paper, scissors, and you have to uh, try to predict what your opponent is going to do. And then like two armies rush at each other and some of them die. Whereas in 2, they went, like, full-on tactics, like, okay, now you've got, like, an open field with a bunch of pieces moving around, and they'll clash, and you have to, like, uh, make sure not to, like, attack uh, cavalry with infantry or stuff like that. Right.
0: No, I think that, like I said, I think that's something that's really cool, and it kind of, like I said, for that time period it breaks the mold, and when I think of the RPGs that came out in, in those late 90s, in that late 90s period where mm-hmm. they were all very vastly different, where like, nowadays, the the growing complaint, and I can definitely see it, is a lot of RPGs are very samey oh, yeah. because you can find a it, it's a niche within a niche, and you find your, your kind of hook, and then every kind of game plays off that, where it now seems like everything is kind of like that in the middle of an action RPG and strategy, and a uh, Traditional JRPG kind of mold in the '90s. They were completely different games. Where Final Fantasy VIII is this game where it's a lot of drawing magic and and working. You know, it's it's standard RPG, but it's how you work it is different. How you use summons are different. Mm-hmm. You could use it to, to level up. That was very different. Uh, Legend of Dragoon. It has these trappings of a JRPG, but it also has like a fighting game element because you would use different command prompts to do you know attacks. And I think Suikoden. The series itself kind of does that where it has these two completely different battle styles that you work through throughout the game. I think that's very, very interesting, mm-hmm. um, especially going forward. Um, one of the things in the game is the rune system that they have. Uh, so Michael, for someone who's never played the game, can you kind of explain what the rune system you know, basically is? Like how you would use runes?
1: Oh like man, so uh, runes in that game, you have the the 27 true runes which uh, the heroes always get and uh, which the main character and his best friend uh, Joey get and like these are the idea is that these runes are like bound to a character for life if they're removed that character will die and they have like certain god level powers associated with them that grow over the course of the game. but for the most part runes are like you can either bind them to a character's right or left hand they're temporary they can be removed or they're to their weapon. And depending on what you decide to do, if you, like, uh, attach, uh, like, a fire rune to a weapon, it'll give that weapon fire attacks. And if you attach it to their hand instead, it'll uh, give them, uh, like, magic attacks, like they can call down fire or whatever. Um, so it, it's it's a little it's a little bit interesting. It, it kind of feels a little like the Materias in Final Fantasy VII, for example, right. except you don't have to learn them, I guess. They're just there. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, I think that, you know, again, like you said, it's, it's another way of customization, right? Like I can, I can use these runes outside of the, you know, 27 true runes. I can use these Mm -hmm. runes to make, you know, a character that like will help, you know, help do a better magic attack or help do something like that. So I I think that's actually, like I said, I think that's really cool, especially when you have all these different characters, you know, being able to not only have all these different characters, but also be able to customize them.
1: Yeah. I think, Um, I think the problem with a lot of, uh, rpgs and maybe jrpgs in particular is you know I'm, I'm not a fan of ones that like tend to front load a lot of unique systems and make you learn them right at the beginning because uh i i just sort of like i just want to pick some fights with monsters and hit attack a bunch of times uh at least for a little while and then i'll gradually learn that and suikoden 2 does a really good job of there's like a, a gradual learning curve where Uh, eventually you will get to a point where you need runes and then it's like, it's really in your interest to start teaching yourself how to use them. But, uh, you can get through a huge chunk of the game by just like hammering on fight or, uh, even just doing an auto, uh, like I just want the computer to control my guys this round. Everybody's just going to attack. And, uh, actually like I cleaned up using the unite attack, the buddy attack with, uh, Rio and, uh, Joey that they just circle around and do massive damage to every enemy at once that the fact that you have those team-up attacks actually uh is really cool that like you get two characters in who have some sort of uh connection like they get this kobold and this dog in and then like the kobold can jump on the dog and ride him into battle and just like damage a bunch of enemies and discovering those is really cool right no and like
0: i said that could definitely i mean that's it's definitely a really cool thing um so like you said you played Suicoden 1. Mhm. Um, when you when you played, did you transfer your save over?
1: Well, I I wanted to, but uh, like I said it was wiped. So when I <laughs> when I played it the first time, yes, I did, right. but I never okay. got to the point where you can uh, do what you, what it enables.
0: Right. So um, when you transfer it over, you what you get the hero from the first Suicoden game mm-hmm. is unlocked. lot. Is there anything else other than that? I, th- I think you know. Of.
1: I think you have to unlock all 108 stars in your own game before that becomes possible. And I, I had thought it was that you could, you had to do it in the first game and then do it in the second one. But, right. Uh, but yeah, if if I think it's that you can recruit him, but if you have all 108 stars in the first game, then Gremio, his uh, his servant, also appears. Okay.
0: Yeah, like I said, I know it's one of those things. But one of the great things about Sui Coding, what, what I've heard from Sui Coding Two, I've heard from a lot of people, is you don't actually have to play the first Sui game to kind of get the story no. of Sui
1: No, well, it's it, it is separate, and it is kind of Sui One and Two are kind of the same story told in different ways. Um, I mean, it's the same basic plot that you are a child soldier, basically, who is declared a traitor and then has to build an army as a fugitive. Uh, they're they're both similar in that respect, but they are completely different characters, different setting, uh, different area. Yeah, it's you don't need the first one. Right. But it does and work I, as a useful foundation.
0: Right. And I, I think that's I think that's very good for in effect fact where. Especially, like I said, in that time... And in the time frame we are now with RPGs... Like, having something where it's not a barrier of entry... Like, uh... The, the timestamp this Kingdom Hearts 3 trailer just came out... Mm-hmm. And I'm going through it and I'm like... Oh, there's... And I, I've played every Kingdom Hearts game... It's like, oh, there's references from games... I'm pretty sure 90% of people have never played... And this is going to be a barrier of entry for people... And I, mm-hmm. I like the fact that... Suicode 2 is a standalone game... And you do not have to have played Suicode 1... Yeah. Like... Like you said, it obviously it enhances, but making yeah. it its own separate game, I, I think that's very cool. And one of the things that came out, um, I say, within the last decade was this was actually the first game made. Like this was the original idea before mm-hmm. in One. Um, so Suidaken Two was originally um, thought of to be to be made as as the first game. It was going to be a title on the Konami on Konami's own console, which it's weird to me now, in 2018, they were yeah. Konami as a,
1: as a <laughs> they console They were going to make their own console.
0: Uh, but it would have been great, because Kojima would have made, what, five Zone of the Ender games. So Oh, yeah. It, that would have always been great. Um, but no, and so Suikoden 1 is actually, it's a prequel. It's literally a prequel script for Suikoden 2. Yeah, And with you having played both games, does it kind of feel like... Does it – because I've heard a lot of people when they say, like, well, what's your favorite Coden game? Everyone's like Sui Coden 2. Yeah. And does this game feel like it? this is a a more complete, more complete – like, a more finished experience? Like, this was where you could see where – this is where the creator wanted to bring the story. And does, does one feel like a prequel? Like, does it feel like The Hobbit to Suikoden's Lord, Lord of the Rings?
1: Kind of. You know? Like, knowing that it sort of makes sense uh, because – you play through one, and it's a much shorter game. Uh, it's it's more direct. It's a little bit simpler. Um, but uh, I, I think that like the the creator like had decided to write this like let's not execute the full Suicoden two story. Uh, I want to try this trial run, and uh, and it'll give me the experience I need to create the the vision that I really want. Um, but so yeah, there there are obvious. Similarities in plot, uh, but it like playing through it again a few years ago. It's like this is a lot shorter than I remember. I think you could get through it in like twenty hours or less, um, but. Yeah, and, and there are certain things. I mean, you don't need to play one to have played two, but there are certain things that will like jump out at you. Like you'll see a familiar characters, like oh he's back, like oh Victor and Flick. Oh, but I, I saw how that they got to be friends in the first place in Sui Code in one, and now they're like huge pivotal characters in two, and uh, that that connection between them, like the the idea that you're seeing these stories set in a, uh, a consistent world and that you're seeing these returning characters that you love uh made the first two games really cool like i think that that definitely enhances the experience and then it lost a lot of that when it moved on to Suikoden 3 and they just like had a few returning characters but it was mostly original and original story so yeah um what was the rest of the question sorry
0: no 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 that was i mean that's that was the answer to the question that that i was looking for you know it's like because, like I said, this is a game that everyone has said, like, "Hey, this is the this is the game." You know, everyone everyone who I've spoken with about Sui Coden, it's like, you need to play Sui Coden too. You need to play Sui Coden mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Like when it came out, I remember, um, I think this was actually VGA. I think it came out uh, previous to uh, the Future Show um, that you were very adamant, like, "Hey, you should play this." And mm-hmm. uh, Dave Rudden, who um, used to work at Laser Time and now works for TK, he was very much of, hey, people should go out and play, you know, Suicoden 2. Um, and it just, from what I've heard, it seems like the full, like, hey, this is the full featured game you'd want to look at. Like, again, we talked about it when we talked about Final Fantasy. If someone was asking me, okay, what Final Fantasy would you start off with? I'd probably say, hey, you want to start with 4 or 6. Because mm-hmm. 4 or 6 is, is what I would say, this is what a full-fledged Final Fantasy game is. Not to say that it, there's they're not they may be, may not be my favorite. Well, I think 6 is my favorite, but they, they may not be my favorite. But if you're asking me, hey, what is a Final Fantasy game? Those games are more representative because they have a full-fledged vision, and this is what they want to go for. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I'm hearing a lot with Suicoding 2. Not to say that Suicoding 1 is a bad game, um, but Suicoding 2 is the full-fledged, version, full-fledged vision. And yeah, you can check out 1, and one's a really good game in its own right, but 2 is where the meat and potatoes are at.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a fair assessment. Uh, and I, I do think that, like, if you've got uh, plenty of time to do both, I, I'd say do both. It's definitely, like, the one and then two make for a very rewarding experience. Again, sort of like going from The Hobbit to Lord of the Rings and seeing all these characters come back. But, uh, again, like Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, you can start with Lord of the Rings, and that's fine. You don't need The Hobbit.
0: Right. Um. So before I go into, you know, more characters in Silly Codem because I, I definitely want to talk about Luca Blight who mm. um very <laughs> who interesting a, character. Who a lot of people who a lot of people have a lot of very interesting things to say. Um, do you do you, I know this is a very nebulous question because mm-hmm. of where Konami is as a developer, even though they just came out with Metal Gear Survive, again, you know, dating this podcast, but do you think we live in a world where where they could do another Sweet Coden game or remake Sui Coden one and two?
1: Um, you know i I think if there's money to be made, that they'll they'll uh, pay attention to that. But uh, I can't really speak to Konami's intentions. Um, right. I I think that probably interest in the series has waned, but uh, I mean anything's possible. So. Right,
0: and I, I just say that because I know, again, the Suicoden franchise was a franchise I had just missed out on, and then a lot of the PlayStation 2 ones came out, but that was during a glut of a lot of PlayStation games, like there was the Xenosaga series that mm, I was yeah. getting into, and then and then um, the Sky and those games were 100 plus hour RPGs, like, and... And I just didn't know, I never knew, and like you said, you brought up 3, and that's the reason why I was very curious. I just never knew, you know, as a fan, what those games kind of, if those games kind of kept that legacy of 1 and 2 to the point where it would be a, a necessity to bring back that series.
1: I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd kind of like to talk about the, the sequels for a, a few seconds. That uh, 3, like, I played a bunch of that. Uh, it is really interesting. Have you ever touched it?
0: I, I've never touched it. It was Like I said, it was, again, one yeah. of those barrier of entries. And I think uh, it was just in a glut of just a lot of RPGs at the time. So it was something, like I said, it, it, just, it just completely washed over me.
1: Yeah. So, so that game, it takes a different tack in that there are three main playable characters. And you will play through each of their storylines in turn until they get to the point where they all merge and they find their true runes. Uh, one is like a uh an ex-thief mercenary commander uh another is like the typical child hero who's like uh the the son of a barbarian chiefess and like the uh, you know ha- has like a tribal lifestyle uh and then the third is like the aristocratic female commander of uh of like captain of the guard of this uh, walled city and so it, that, that's kind of a cool approach again it loses a lot of familiar characters, and then there's, you know, a fourth playable character, I think, but uh, that's sort of spoilery. Code uh, mm-hmm. in 4, I don't remember much about it, except that nobody seemed to like it, and Suicode <laughs> in 5, uh, everybody seemed to like it, but it's really hard to find. Right. So if you find a copy, treasure that. Right. It sounds like Suicode in 3,
0: it reminds me a lot of Wild Arms, like how, you're explain, how, how you explained it, I was like, yeah, it reminds me a yeah. lot, like Wild Arms. But okay, so Luca Blight. Yeah. Um, I've heard from people he is one of the best villains that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, and um, I'm just just going off that so Luca Blight, he from what I've read up, and again I, I haven't experienced it, he reminds me a lot like a lot like Kefka, a lot like, you know, these very mm-hmm. uh, political savvy melodramatic villains that, you know, are I would say that really do well in a lot of RPGs. Um, so, what what if 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 you're explaining to somebody brand new, like who Luca Blight is, like what would be your pitch to him as as a bad guy, as a villain?
1: I mean, Luca Blight is diabolical. He's uh, very ambitious, sort of power mad. Uh, you know, if I, th- I think you could probably draw parallels between him and like Caligula, like some of the mad emperors of Rome. That he, the first time he appears. Well, actually, the first time that he uh, is mentioned in the series is at the end of one, when a character uh, mentions him just offhandedly as Luca Bride, so it's like mm. mistranslation there. But then right. uh, he he shows up, and at, I mean, at the very beginning of Sui Coden too, you are a soldier in a the Youth Brigade of this Highland Army. And so you're a child soldier among a bunch of other child soldiers, and a peace treaty's just been signed, and you're looking forward to going home. And that night there's a surprise attack, and it turns out that it's uh, a, a detachment led by Luca Bride, who's your own prince. So he's attacking your uh, these child soldiers in an attempt to create an atrocity and blame it on their enemy, who they've just signed a peace treaty with, so that he can justify uh, more war. And so it's it's basically a false flag operation, except, you know, people die. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, you you and your friend escape by jumping off a cliff. But he is there to hound you throughout the game. And uh, he, you know, will sacrifice anyone. He decimates towns and villages left and right. He's he's basically just uh, an arsonist in a position of uh, extreme power who wants to expand his empire and kill everyone in his way. Uh, th- these are, n- it's not, the ends justify the means so much as that, uh, the means often are the end. He just wants to murder people.
0: Right. He was, um, just looking at this, like he, he orchestrated the assassination of his father. hmm Um, and like he, like I said, he, he just, from when I, just reading up and just stuff I've seen on him, he reminds me a lot of early game Kefka and Six before he, you know, before he, you know, moves to goddess statues and becomes a god, he reminds me of that where it's just like, Oh, let's just poison the river because yeah, that will kill the most mm-hmm. people. Like he, he reminds me of that kind of yeah. character.
1: Well, I mean can we get into spoilery territory or would you prefer to avoid Absol- that? Absolutely absolutely. I mean absolutely. it it is like a an eighteen year old nineteen year old game, I guess, by this point. So, yeah right, um, right. but it what one of the things that struck me as the most interesting about Luca is well, two things. Number one, he orchestrates one of what I think is one of the most memorable uh, betrayals in a JRPG. And that like you have this uh, character, Joey, who's been your, your childhood friend and who you go through most of the game with. And then he uh, manipulates him into being an assassin. Uh, And then Joey starts, uh, he he goes back uh, and is accepted back into the enemy fold. But then he starts rising through the ranks and eventually uh, you you fight and kill Luca but that's not the end of the game like that is maybe three-fourths of the way through the end to the end of the game and uh, then Joey becomes the main antagonist so you're fighting against your old friend who basically wants the same things you do but is sort of his hands are tied by his position of power on the the other side and it's fascinating right I use that word a lot fascinating I should probably stop but
0: but it, it it is fascinating like that's it's again kind of like we brought final fantasy tactics again it kind of like the the kind of that same storyline in tactics where you know you're working against a childhood friend mm-hmm. who gets manipulated um and that, i think that's that it's a heart, it's a heartbreaking story right you play that game and you have you have your you have a player who gets basically worm tongued worm into going into another mm-hmm. side yeah um and it's always, like I said, that conflict's always where it's it's very it's very difficult. Um, and I'm going to say, oh, I was about to go into something. I was like, that's another episode. Because <laughs> uh, it, it just reminds me a lot of Mother 3. And I, hmm. I think that's one of the things that, um, if, if you've never played Mother 3, one of the things that I really love about that game is literally the ending and how that ending kind of works in that kind of a story arc. And I love stories like that. Because what is the eternal conflict? It's really easy to see somebody like Luca Bright who's very maniacal and over the top and melodramatic and someone you have no attachment to but you see do awful shit mm-hmm. and you're just like oh yeah I need to kill that person it's very easy um it said when you have to kind of internalize somebody that you may have grown up with and I think that's also a human experience right and I think that's well, kind of, and if I'm wrong, just let me know. But kind of resonates with you. It's like we've all had somebody that we've been close with that's done something where you're like, man, I don't agree with this. Mm-hmm. But you never think like I have to, I have to kill that person or I have to attack that person. I think when RPGs do well with those twists or those characters that are controlled, it's giving somebody, like giving somebody conflict to do something that was manipulative and you could see that they were manipulated, but now they are steadfast in their convictions, right? Yeah. Um it's one of the things I don't like about Kane in Final Fantasy IV is because like Kane fucks up all the time. Like he 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 works for Goldbez and he's like uh I work for Goldaz like but no it's mind control but but he's also right but then it's mind control. So like Mm -hmm. I I can't really get there because I want I I want to have that same experience with Kane. But then like I said in Mother 3 you had that experience with your brother and it's something that it can be very profound. Like mother three was the first game I cried because of that kind of a scenario where mm-hmm. I'm playing it. And it just, it gets you in that raw emotion. I I'm guessing that Joey situation is kind of similar.
1: Yeah. Well, I think Sweet He too, does a really good job of it because Joey is with you through most of the game. He's, he's sort of an indispensable story character. You fight alongside him. Again, your most powerful attack for a huge part of the game is the hero and Joey teaming up to, just attack all the enemies at once. Uh, so when he has that turnabout and it's not mind control, it's really just more that like the the, the bad guy offered him something he wanted uh, that was worth uh, throwing away everything for. And uh, I, I think it makes him much more of a complex character. And I think Luca, by contrast, is, is almost refreshing now in how little gray there is in his character. Like, no, he's just pure terrible like he's a this big operatic melodramatic hammy villain and so when he uh, is eliminated and is replaced by i think a much more nuanced villain than you know it's it's sort of one of the things that makes this game so special
0: Right. It's it he doesn't do what I call the vegetification of characters. Mm -hmm. Um every character, and it seems like ever since Dragon Ball Z, every character, every bad guy is bad guy enough, but then will become a good guy.
1: Yeah, there's no redemption arc for him.
0: (laughs) Right. And I, I think that's I think that's refreshing though. Like you said, like how many characters do you have to play this? Well, everything is shades of gray when Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's people who are just evil as shit. Like mm-hmm. the Joker doesn't work if it was Shades of Gray. Like he's the Joker. He's 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 anarchy, you know, unbound, and and that's what Luca Luca Bright is. Um, mm-hmm. At first, when I, first looking at his design, he reminded me of um, of Griffin in Berserk, um, which is a an old anime. Right, old people.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> but didn't um, he get a new series recently? It's terrible. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I only series. know it it's... from the Dreamcast game, so <laughs> uh
0: yeah, it, it got a new series, it's terrible. Well it's a lot of those nineties anime. Um mm. but uh but no, it's it's bad. Um but Griffin has that he Griffin is a character who reminds me a lot, like what you're explaining of Joey, it what happened with Griffin. Griffin is a character who um who guts the main character of Berserk, you know, they're really good friends, they're best friends, and at one point without spoiling it because it's a really great read if you anyone get a chance to read the berserk manga it's mm-hmm. fantastic um, He does this he undergoes this change and he becomes this maniacal person, but it's not an, an effect of like I said, it's not an effect of this was a controlling or someone, you know uh, hypnotized him or you know, it was him getting something that he felt he needed and it sh- turned him. And then what you're going through with that story is... Now, what does Guts do when his friend is now doing this awful shit... But is still, in core, his friend. Right? And is that mm-hmm. kind of conflict. And I, I think that's a very... I think it's always a very interesting storytelling conflict uh, within the game.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think Suikoden too handles it really well. And I remember... Uh, to get even further into spoiler territory, so skip ahead if you're already annoyed with me over this, Uh, I think the the ending of this game for me was very sad, because there are two key events, and and first I want to say, this game is merciless about making you do the right thing at the right time, or you won't get the best ending. If this character dies, who is very hard to protect during this battle, uh, you won't be able to recruit them, you won't get the best ending, Uh, and there is a moment toward the end where uh, a character who is very dear to your main character, like you have literally a split second to hit a dialogue uh, option in a window and uh, shield them from an arrow. And if you don't do that, then they die. I didn't do that. They died. Uh, And then if they die, uh, you have the final confrontation with Joey and, uh, I'm not sure. I I don't think he can. I I thought at the time that you needed that other character for him to survive. Uh, But then uh, he he just died. He had a very sad death when I when I got to him and confronted him. So it's like, yeah, now this sucks. Everything sucks. Your friends are dead.
0: (laughs) Which is, um, which is, like I said, that's. That I like that because it does emotionally, you know, it, like it sucks, but like it emotions like, hey, everything matters, and that's one of the things about this game. It's there are dialogue options, mm-hmm. and if you pick the wrong option, like I said, if you pick the wrong option, um, you can completely change the game. You can maybe not recruit somebody because of how yeah. you acted. Like it's, and I think it's also very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and but again, like it, if you if you if it's really important to you to get the best ending, maybe play with a strategy guide because like, yeah, there, are, there are characters who like, Oh, I didn't talk to this character before this village was burned. Now I can't ever recruit them and I'd have to start a new game, stuff like that. Right. Um,
0: so yeah, so like I said, this, this game. So another really great thing about this game, uh, and doing the research on it is the music, the music in this game. Oh yeah. is fantastic. Um, just the battle music and i watched the video and the guy said and i was i, was, I thought it was like really cool he would literally put on the he would go into a town play the town music he would leave his tv on not touch his playstation and just go read a book and he was like, "This it was just such a fantastic uh, soundtrack." And I'm, I'm trying to find out the composer of it, and it's not telling me. Great, uh, but it's a really, really, really fantastic soundtrack. Is there any uh, for someone who hasn't heard it? Is there any tracks that you would really call out? Like, this is really good. Cause I've heard like the the battle music is fantastic uh, as well. Yeah, the, um, the
1: the battle music's fantastic. Uh, I'm having trouble thinking of tracks from the second game that I'd call out specifically. I know we did a a whole episode of. VG Empire Laser Times uh video game music podcast about Sui Koden, And uh I was kinda struck, I it was around the time that I was replaying the first game, I was kinda struck by how much diversity there is in the musical styles. Like there's uh stuff that is based off like traditional Chinese and uh Japanese music, there's more sort of bombastic uh operatic music, there's like weird banjo tunes that play when you're gambling. Uh <laughs> So I mean, there's quite a bit, but I think the, uh, I mean, the main theme is really good. The battle theme is really good, and actually, uh, I will call out my the just the overworld map music in Suikoden two when you're just walking around from town to town is incredible and just like this is just great marching music, I guess. But right. uh, yeah, track that down, listen to it. Absolutely.
0: Um, in this episode, you'll probably hear underneath because uh, Dylan usually does, does it when he edits the music for this game. But absolutely, uh, go just listen to that soundtrack. It's a really, it's a really, really good soundtrack. Um, mm-hmm. But, Michael, again, thank you so much um, for joining me on this episode of Grind Forever. Of course. Uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. This is your time to plug whatever you would like to plug, sir.
1: All right. Well, <laughs> uh, people can hear me every Friday on uh, Game Apocalypse, which you can find at VigigameApocalypse.com. Uh, on the Laser Time Network, uh, lasertimepodcast.com, where you can hear a bunch of different shows that cover a range of topics, uh, pop culture. Uh, t- there's Talking Simpsons, where they go through every episode of The Simpsons. And uh, if you listen to that stuff and you like what we do, uh, consider donating to the Laser Time Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash lasertime. So that's that's my bit.
0: Absolutely. Also, if you give to the Talking Systems Patreon, like I do, you'll hear a show with Michael and his wife, Deanna. They're on Talking oh, yeah. Critic uh, with, with Henry and Bob, which is really, really great. Um, and yeah, and uh, Diana, Michael, uh, Chris, and um, Matt, I don't know why I flooded on Matthew J's Dave. Mm. Um well, they again, to, t- to date this, they just recently did a tram- tremendous Oscar episode, like they always <laughs> do every year, yep. uh, talking about the Oscars uh, for this for this year, 2018, and the nominees from the movies from last year, so absolutely give that a listen. Like I said before, Michael is one of my favorite people to oh, hear you. on podcast, um, and it's always great, and absolutely, Vigi uh, Game Apocalypse is really great, and like he says, get to that stuff, but also, if you like what we do here on... Uh, Grind Forever, as well as other shows we do on the PNB Cast Network, which includes PNB, our regular show, and Level Select, our sister show to this show, where we go over different levels and games, kind of talk about the influences and the breakdown of those. Uh, maybe go to our Patreon and go to patreon.com slash uh, uh If you go there for $3 a month, $3, you get not only the regular show in the feed, all these regular shows in the feed, which you also get bonus podcast you have enough podcasts for one new bonus podcast a week for three dollars you can't beat that there are also more prizes as you give more but all we're asking for is three dollars um but again michael thank you very much you can follow you can follow michael on twitter at wiki uh you can follow me uh, on yes. Twitter. uh you can follow me on twitter at travis l foster uh you can follow our main hub on twitter at B cast uh For Makware Forest, my name is Travis Foster, and this is Grind Forever. Stay grinding. Thanks. You just listened to a show on the PNB network. And it was made by people just like you. Here are our following executive producer on the show. Aziz Tuajeri, Brandon Lundy. John Olson. Hannah Temke, And Wesley Green. If you want to be like them, go to patreon.com slash PNB. And sign up uh, for a $15 tier and become an executive producer on the show. Thanks. We love you guys. Bye.